Going Postal Publishing, the Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Chapter 17 The first cracks of light coming through a seam in what should have been a window ended Jason's night of hell. He spent the entire night in fear, wondering if the next moment would bring the monster that killed his mother and father out of the blackness. He hadn't seen anything. Seeing had been impossible when there was no light in the room, but he'd heard things. Voices. He heard many voices throughout the night. He didn't know where they came from, or why he heard them. He couldn't even determine if they'd come from his own mind. His entire world had been thrown so far out of whack that he couldn't make heads or tails of what was real or fantasy. The voices were everywhere, coming to him from all corners of the room. Some voices were familiar, while others were strange. Through it all, he screamed. He screamed because he was scared of being in the dark, where the monster could get him. He screamed to drown out the voices. Yet, no matter how long or loud he screamed, he couldn't drown out the voices. One set of familiar voices he'd heard were those of his parents. They were calling out to him, asking him to join them. They talked to him about how great death was, and how great it would be if he were with them. No matter how much he screamed, he still could hear them. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't block them out. He didn't stop screaming until the sun came up, coming through cracks in the wall. His throat was sore and dry. He needed a drink of water to soothe his burning throat. He didn't know what time they were going to feed him breakfast, or if they were going to at all. He sat alone for a few hours in the light, but no food came. He didn't know if he could eat, but he wanted something to drink. There was little he could do until they came. He studied the crack in the wall. At some point it used to be a window. There were still bars on the inside, but now there was plywood that kept most of the light out. Jason studied its location, thinking that there was something familiar about it. Thinking back to the darkness, he realized that the voices might very well have come from that window. Had he been dreaming about the voices, or had they been real? His mind didn't want to rationalize if either were true. He wondered if he were going insane. He didn't doubt that it was a very strong possibility. After what he'd experienced the night before, after witnessing the death of his parents, he didn't deny that his sanity was being pushed to the brink. That wasn't all of it either. Yes, witnessing the murders was bad enough. The parents that cared for him since the day he was born were gone, thrown away like pieces of spoiled meat. Everything they'd done for him was nothing more than a memory, fading in the stress of murder. He felt as if he were forgetting them already. All he could remember was that stupid argument they'd had the night before he stormed up to bed. Why had he argued with them? They had his best intentions in mind. He wished that their last true moments together weren't spent arguing. Worse than that was the fact that he had been arrested for their murders. He did everything he could to help them, 
including stabbing the killer and pushing him down the stairs. In the end, the killer had somehow lived and escaped. Now it was he who had been arrested and now faced charges. If he couldn't come up with a way to prove his innocence, he was going to prison instead of the man, Monster, that was actually behind this. The door to his cell opened, sliding with a metallic screech. Jason looked at the opening door, expecting Officer Thompson to walk through. It wasn't Thompson. In his place was the officer that had brought him to the station. What was his name? He couldn't remember. Hello, Jason, the officer said. How are you doing? Jason wanted to say, I've been better. But nothing came out but a croak. His throat was sore and hoarse. He couldn't talk. He screamed for so long that his voice had now given out on him. He pointed at his throat. The officer nodded at him as if he understood. You gave us quite a scare, he said in a tone that Jason didn't like. All that yelling. Some of us thought that you would have screamed yourself asleep. You know, like a baby. Surprise, surprise. Here you are still awake, but without a voice. Jason glared at him. Where was this guy going with this? Was he trying to mock him? The tone of his voice certainly implied that. The officer pulled a notepad from his pocket and tossed it to Jason. He snatched it out of the air. The officer then produced a pen and walked close enough to hand it to him. He backed away and leaned against the wall. The cell door closed as his hand pressed against the wall. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, the officer said. I want you to answer by writing your answers on this notepad. This is very important. Do you understand? Jason nodded. He understood just how important everything was. The only problem was that he also understood that this was nothing more than a game to the officer. He wasn't trying to figure out if he was innocent or not. The cop didn't know anything about that. He just wanted his job to be made easier. The only problem was that there was little that Jason could do to help this officer. It didn't help that he didn't want to help the officer at all. He would play the game, however, at least for a little while. Good, the cop said. First, who are you working with? Jason stared at the cop, not knowing what he was talking about. Did he think he killed his parents with the help of somebody else? That was likely what he meant. He chose not to write anything. We know that you've been working with somebody, the cop continued. Several people are missing, people that are directly involved in this case. You were in custody when they disappeared, so we know that there has to be an accomplice. Jason knew that this was as good of an opportunity as any to write a response. He used the pen to scribble a small message. He turned the notepad, showing it to the cop. The cop moved closer to look at the message. His eyes widened when he read it. Jason had written in capital letters. He got them. Who's he? the cop asked. Jason shrugged his shoulders. He was being as honest as he could. He turned the page and wrote another message. He showed it to the cop. It consisted of only two words. The monster. Monster? The cop looked skeptical. You've got to be shitting me. You actually want me to believe a bullshit story about some monster killing your parents? Jason nodded. Kid... You're messed up in the head. Well, I want to fill you in on a little secret. Your parents aren't at the morgue anymore. Their bodies were stolen by your partner. What? 
Jason was irate. How could somebody take his parents' bodies? Wasn't there supposed to be security measures in place to prevent something like this? The only thing he could think of was that the killer, Monster, broke into the morgue to take the bodies as some kind of trophy. He could just imagine what he was doing with those bodies at that moment. Two thoughts immediately popped into his mind. He worried that the killer was either having sex with the corpses, or he was eating them. Neither thought was exactly appealing. He felt his stomach lurch. He turned his head to the right and let a little food that was in his system come up. It was mostly bile, but it covered the floor in a thin puddle of slime. Jesus Christ, kid, the cop snarled. What in the hell did you do that for? Now I gotta send somebody in here to clean that shit up. There's a toilet at the back of the room. Jason turned his head again and saw that there was a toilet there. He hadn't been able to tell when it had still been dark out. The sensation in his bladder gave him the idea of something he could do after the cop left. That would relieve a little stress from his body. Kid, are you going to give me any answers or what? Jason shrugged his shoulders. Believe it or not, I'm trying to help you. If you still have a partner out there, you need to let me know. I can't guarantee anything, but Randy might be able to work out a deal to give you a chance for parole in the future. You're looking at five counts of murder. Don't throw away your life at such a young age. The door slid open again. Standing at the door was the man that Jason had initially thought would come in. It was Chief Thompson. He looked upset. Actually, upset wasn't the right word. Pissed off was more like it. He walked in, heading straight for the other cop. What in the hell do you think you're doing? Thompson asked the other cop just loud enough that Jason could overhear them. You have no authority to be doing this. You know we can't offer him anything, and he's requesting to have a lawyer present before he talks again. You want him to get out on a technicality? The cop shook his head. Get the hell out of here. You've been awake for far too many hours. Go home and get some sleep. Your head will seem a little clearer when you wake up. The cop walked out, his head bowed towards the floor. Thompson turned his attention towards Jason. I'm sorry about that, Thompson said to him. He had no right to be pestering you like that. May I have that pen and notepad back? Jason handed them to him. Thank you. His attention turned to the vomit on the floor. I'll have somebody in to clean that up in about five minutes. Your breakfast shouldn't be too long after that, and your court-appointed lawyer should be in to see you at some point today. Any questions? Jason shook his head. Thompson nodded. He turned and left, leaving Jason all alone in the cell. His brain raced with the revelations the cop gave him. The bodies were missing. His mother and father's bodies were missing. He felt a stabbing pain in his chest. Somewhere out there was a monster of a man, and he had his parents. What he was doing with those bodies, he no longer wished to know. All he could do was wait to see if their bodies turned up. It wasn't as if he had anywhere else to go. He rubbed at his throat, hoping it would help with the soreness. It didn't. He wished there was something that would take away his hoarseness and eliminate the pain. Hell, he wished there were other things that would take away other forms of pain. He didn't want to feel any of the pain he was feeling at that moment. He wanted it all to be over with. After relieving himself, Jason walked towards the small bed in the cell. There wasn't much to it. There was no blanket or pillow, just an uncovered gym mat acting like a mattress on the floor. He laid down on it, wanting to get some sleep. 
He closed his eyes and felt himself drifting off almost instantly. His mind drifted, forgetting all about the events of the night before. He was peaceful and almost asleep. The metallic clang of the door opening once more brought him out of his doze. He lifted his head and saw that a tray of food had been placed on the floor. The door was already closing again. His breakfast had arrived. He needed a moment to decide which he would rather do. He was extremely tired, yet he was ravenous with hunger. He needed to eat every bit as much as he needed to sleep. He was basically flipping a coin in his mind. After a few moments of deliberating, he decided that he needed the food more. He walked to the tray and picked it up. He looked at the tray's contents and felt his stomach tighten again. The tray contained globs of yellow pus that may or may not have been eggs. There were two slabs of dried-out meat that could have been either bacon or sausage. Rounding out the trifecta were two slices of bread with two small globs of butter on them. A small foam cup containing orange juice was on the floor next to where the tray had been. He grabbed the plastic fork and poked at the globs that he thought were eggs. He placed the forkful in his mouth. That was all his stomach needed. He turned his head and vomited once more. His throat felt as if it were on fire. I gotta get out of here, he thought, knowing that it may be a very long time before that actually happened. He believed that he was in this for the long haul and didn't know if he could handle eating food like this every day. Giving up on the food, he went back to the bed and lied down. Worse things than this would come soon. Chapter 18 What in the hell did you think you were doing? Randy Thompson asked Brad Collenbach upon leaving Jason Rangel's cell. They were standing out in the open, where everybody could see and hear what they were doing. You could have blown the whole case. Just trying to help solve the case, boss, Collenbach said. Needed something to do while you were still out. If you needed something to do, you're still more than a week behind on your paperwork, Randy pointed out. From this moment on, you are to stay away from Jason Rangel. I'm not going to have you destroying this case. We have our suspect in custody, and we're going to wait for his public defender before we question him any further. We have rules that we need to follow. If we do not follow these rules, he walks. If he walks, we're fucked. Do you understand? Yes, Collenbach said with undeniable contempt in his voice. His eyes went to the ground and his shoulders slumped. The energy he'd had moments earlier was gone. I'm sorry, sir. I just wanted to solve this case so bad. There's another one out there somewhere. Somebody that's helping him with these murders. I need a name. I, uh, needed to solve this case. You needed your name on the report as the man who broke this case wide open, Randy said, feeling as if he had the man pegged. He knew just how ambitious Brad Cullenback was. Randy was the man that hired him. Since then... Brett had routinely demonstrated that he is one of his best officers, exceeding expectations in all areas. Randy knew just how bad Brad wanted to move up the ladder. He just never knew what lengths he was willing to go to to do it. I understand where your motives lie, but you have protocol that you need to follow. We have to play this other suspect angle the proper way. If we don't, he runs and Jason keeps his mouth shut. If that happens, our other perp gets to kill again. Maybe in another town or state. The words seemed to be getting into Brad's mind. He still wouldn't make eye contact, but he nodded along with everything that Randy said. Randy couldn't help but wonder just how much was actually sinking in. 
Brad was a smart guy, but even the smartest of men can do stupid things when their ambition takes control. Anything you want to say? Randy asked. No, Columbac said in a voice that had lost its energy. I understand what you're saying, and I'll be more careful. Good, Randy said. Now why don't you go home and get some sleep? I'm assuming that you have a detailed report of everything that happened while I was gone, sitting on my desk. Columbac looked up with eyes that said, Oh shit, I forgot. That's a different problem for a different day. I'll make a few calls and get filled in on what I can. Go home. I'll need you back here later today. Thank you, Columbac said, heading for the exit. Randy watched him leave, knowing that he'd been hard on a good cop. He hated having to do that, but knew it was going to be the best thing for him in the end. He walked into his office, closing the door behind him. He sat down at his desk and looked at the small stack of reports that covered his desk, all from other officers that did the reports when they were supposed to. He looked them over briefly, not really seeing anything that stood out. It didn't help that his mind was still on what Colin Beck had done. He supposed that it wasn't so much what he'd done, but more that Randy had done similar things in the last two days. It had been Randy that initially tried to hide the accomplice. He hadn't wanted anything that could jeopardize his case, including brushing away those prints in the sand. Had he been wrong doing that? Jason hadn't concealed that there had been somebody else involved. The problem was that Jason was placing all of the blame on this unseen man, going far enough to say that he'd stabbed and shoved the man down the stairs. That meant that the scissors would hold the key to this entire case. They'd been shipped to the crime lab in Green Bay, where it would go through state-of-the-art DNA testing to see whose blood was on the scissors. Randy had provided the lab with DNA samples of all three family members, as well as the three members of the Norman family. They were going to find out if he'd used that weapon to kill all five victims. If the DNA results came back with mystery DNA on the scissors, that would be the worst thing that could possibly happen to this case. That would mean that Jason had been telling the truth and that there was somebody else involved who may have committed the murders. As much as he wanted to make sure he'd gotten the right man, he wanted to make sure that this town was safe. He had a suspect in custody. Even if there was somebody else involved, or somebody else who'd committed the murders, he hoped that this arrest would scare him away for good. As long as Niagara was safe, he was fine with whatever he had to do to accomplish that. Brad Collenbeck may be a very ambitious young man, but he had nothing on Randy Thompson. Randy picked up his telephone and dialed the number for the IMPD. He needed to see what was going on in Iron Mountain. Somehow, they dropped the ball and let the accomplice steal the bodies. How could they have been so inept at their jobs? He knew he should have sent his own men. No, that would have been a bad idea. If he would have done that, there was a good chance that it would have been them that was missing, instead of two IMPD officers. He knew all of his men and their families personally. He, in good conscience, couldn't put any of them in harm's way. He'd done the right thing, even if it had turned out negatively. The phone rang twice before it was picked up. Iron Mountain Police Department, a woman said through the phone. This is Randy Thompson. I need to speak with Lieutenant Brian Leonard, Randy said to the woman. Just one moment, she said. There was a click as he was placed on hold. Ten seconds passed before another click was followed by, Lieutenant Leonard, how may I help you? Brian, this is Randy Thompson. Oh, 
hi, Randy, he replied. I suppose you've heard about our little problem. Looks like you screwed up on this one. Leonard's tone irritated Randy. He had called to see what was going on. He hadn't called to be ridiculed by a lieutenant in the IMPD. Where was the professionalism in that? Randy, you still there? Yeah, Randy said. Sorry, I had something on my mind. Kind of froze there. I imagine that you have a lot of things on your mind thanks to this case. I know I do. I have a major investigation going on in the disappearance of two of my officers. I'm missing one of my own, Randy said. No shit, Leonard asked. When did that happen? Last night. One of my officers disappeared from the scene of the Wrangle murders. From what I've been told, one second he's there, and the next he's gone. Nobody saw him leave, and blood was found. They think it's his. Jesus Christ, Randy, Leonard said, sounding surprised. What in the hell are we dealing with here? Do you really think it was the boy? There has to be somebody else involved for three officers to be missing since the Wrangle murders. Jason Wrangle fed me a pretty tall tale, Randy admitted. We're running a set of tests to confirm his story. I doubt that there's any way that we can find anything to confirm what he said. Anything you want to share? Can't. At least not right now. It's part of an internal investigation that I can't let you in on just yet. I don't want anything compromised. That's about the biggest pile of bullshit I've ever heard, Leonard said with a hint of anger in his voice. Randy, we've known each other for what? Nearly a decade? We've discussed literally hundreds of cases. I know when you're trying to tell me to leave it the fuck alone. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's not what I'm doing, Randy said, trying to prevent the situation from getting any worse. That wouldn't help because Leonard was absolutely right. There was no reason for him to be keeping things from Leonard, other than the fact that he was trying to keep his accomplice as quiet as possible. I think the kid is responsible. I don't know what to think of his screwed up story. Let's just leave it at that. Okay, Leonard said, backing down. Man, I've never heard you like this before. Randy realized that he'd never been like this before. The frustration and confusion he now faced was new to him. These were the first murders in his town since he'd taken over. He'd helped out with murders in other towns since there was always a possibility that the killer could be hiding in Niagara. But this was the first time he dealt with the dead bodies on his turf. None of the other murders had been like this. At least, none of the ones he could think of. I'm sorry, Randy said, coming out of his thoughts. The only reason I called was to find out if you have any leads in the disappearances. There was a long moment of silence before Leonard replied, If I knew that, we would likely be having a completely different conversation. I can't make heads or tails of this case, just like you. I swear to God that I'll give you a call if I find anything. This time is almost exactly the same as last time, with the only change being all the blood and the two missing officers. Whoever took the bodies is the same one that took the first set of bodies. He's damn good at what he does. Are you checking for prints? Randy asked. Already done, Leonard replied. We got prints from both bodies before closing them in. The prints we got off the new door belonged to Mary Wrangle. Door wasn't even smashed because my officers had left the bloody thing unlocked. The thief used the body to touch the door. Same pattern as before. Thanks, Brian, Randy said and abruptly hung up the telephone. He didn't want to prolong the conversation any longer than he had to. 
Chief of Police Randy Thompson put his head down on his crossed arms and started to cry. It was the first time in many years that he could remember crying. Maybe I should have gotten a little more sleep, he thought. He opened his desk drawer and pulled out his miracle drug, Benzedrine. God, he needed his bennies. He was so tired. A couple of pills would help him think straight until he could get enough time to go home and get some real sleep. He opened the container and popped two pills in his mouth. He dry-swallowed the pills and put the container back into his desk. He stared ahead, waiting for the pills to take effect and for the dark clouds surrounding his mind to go away. They never went away. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing. 